0: Welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. We are excited to have you. This is the Wednesday, August 7th, 2019 edition of our little weather get-together. This is show number 287. And tonight we have with us Eli Jax. He is the program leader for the uh, NOAA hazard simplification program that's been uh, going on for the past uh, couple of months. Uh, and we're going to be talking about that tonight. Something you may have heard about, something you may not. If you're a little bit more into tuned to the weather community. You've probably heard some mention of this, but if not, we're going to let you know what's going on behind the scenes to help you guys get better prepared for severe weather and how to better understand those watches, warnings, and advisories that are issued. So we are happy to have Eli with us tonight. This is a live broadcast, so we would love to welcome your questions, comments. Uh, you can do that many different ways. You're probably watching right now on Facebook Live, Periscope, Twitch, or on our YouTube page. All you have to do is send a comment, a question. We'll be monitoring those throughout the show. And if you have any questions, we will – if you have them for our guests or any of our panelists, we will address those throughout the show. And if you're listening on the podcast version – Maybe you want to learn more about the Hazard Simplification Program. We'll let Eli give you some information on how you can do so, how you can uh, re- research this topic and uh, maybe some uh, websites or something like that that you can visit to learn more. So, again, we are happy to uh, have you again on the show number 287. I do want to say we've been talking about severe weather today. That severe weather threat is coming to an end. We still have some thunderstorms moving through eastern North Carolina. We did have some severe weather earlier today in the Raleigh area and even down into the Charleston area, and we did have a uh, potential tornado. I'm not going to say confirmed yet because the weather service in Wilmington has not uh, been able to do that yet. They'll do their storm survey tomorrow, but there's a lot of video going around on social media, and you saw it today about 3 o'clock. There was a tornado warning issued for Pender County. Uh, That's near Topsail Island, uh, Topsail Beach, so Um, We, in fact, uh, shared some um, videos of that from WECT in Wilmington, North Carolina. So uh, if you want to check those videos out of the uh, potential tornado, you can do that. So I also want to make mention, if you live in the Charlotte-Mecklenburg area and the surrounding metro area, there is an air quality alert that's um, going to be up for your Thursday. That's a code orange day. So if you have any of those sensitive uh, breathing problems, you may want to uh, stay inside or at least stay out. Uh, out of the, uh, the hot the temperatures and the stagnant air during the peak heating of the day. So lots going on. And uh, with that, we want to bring in our guest tonight, Mr. Eli Jacks. Like I said, he is the uh, program leader for the Hazard Simplification Program. Eli, welcome to the show. We're happy to have you. And since uh, you're a first-time guest, we always like to ask our first-time guests, how did you get caught up in this uh, crazy weather world that we all live in?
1: Hey, well, good evening, Scotty. And uh, hi, everybody uh, who's listening today. Um, and thanks for inviting me. Uh, you know, probably like all the rest of you, I started uh, at about four years old. Any of you guys not started four years old being interested in the weather? Uh, so uh, most of us are that way. And um, I-, I was always interested in, uh, in communication. Uh, uh, I am a proud uh, uh, alumni of the uh, the State University of New York system, uh, had a chance to uh, learn from the great Lance Bozart, and then uh, went on to do some some private work in, in uh, radio and aviation forecasting uh, before I was hired with the Weather Service in, in 1986, and uh, actually did some development on uh, those Moss equations that you all know and love um, back in the day. It was the NGM you know, back in the day. Um, And uh, then uh, I got involved in training. So from the National Training Program, uh, many of you may know, we have uh, three great training centers, uh, uh, in, in, uh, Kansas city and in, in Norman and, and in Boulder. And we develop a lot of materials for our, our forecasters and internationally, uh, for, for, folks to use. And so, uh, after that, I did get involved in the services and, uh, that's been about the last, uh, 15 years of my career is, is, uh, working in policy at the national headquarters and, uh, the hazard simplification project, was just something, uh, I took on because I, I saw a need and, um, uh, and, and it's really um, uh, been a long road, but I think we're getting close to uh, making some, uh, some changes to the system. In fact, some are already uh, underway
2: and some we're still exploring.
0: So, Eli, oh, go ahead, Ricky. Sorry. I
2: was gonna say, You know, for people who aren't familiar with what the hazard simplification process is, can you explain it and, and why the Weather Service is interested in doing it? Absolutely. Great question. So at the
1: very foundation, uh, we have three headline terms. We issue watches, we issue warnings, and we issue advisories. We also uh, issue other products as well, but that's really the foundation. And so uh, the term watch means that a significant event is possible, but we're not yet certain. Whereas advisory and warning uh, are both Terms of imminence that 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 the hazard is is almost certainly going to occur or is already occurring. So we issue those when it's coming, and the only difference between advisory and warning is that uh, advisory is less serious uh, than a warning. Uh, The issue is uh, several fold. So watch and warning both begin with W A, Uh, and then uh, we also have the issue where advisory doesn't really mean anything specific. It is not uh, really clear that the term advisory is less serious than a warning uh, but I think probably the most significant issue uh, is that the three terms are presumed to be hierarchical that one is the least worse and then the medium worse and then the worst worst and that's I think has been the big source of confusion and you know I want to point out that that really in, in the weather service our, key strategic goal is uh, for us to be a weather-ready nation. And in order for everyone to be weather-ready, they need to understand the the information that we're putting out. So that's the foundational uh, uh, source of, of uh, what we're exploring. Is there a better way to uh, express uh, certainty and severity without these three terms that people uh, are largely presuming to be hierarchical with respect to each other?
3: So Eli, with those three terms, the watch advisory and the warning, within those three, there's a myriad of different products. Um, can you kind of explain all the different text products and, and warnings and watches and what all goes into
1: that? Thanks for leading me on. So that's right, the, 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 those three headline terms are part of the issue, but then we have over 100 what we call products or individual messages that pertain to specific hazards. So heat advisory, uh, flood warning, flash flood warning, winter storm watch, uh, of course, tornado, hurricane, uh, tsunami, uh, fire even. So it, it's a red flag warning. Uh, it crosses the hazard spectrum. And, and so in addition to being lead of, of the project, I'm also the chief of our forecast service division, which oversees 11 different service areas uh so uh, I won't rattle them off all here, although I, I I finally can. It took a little bit of a while, but uh, uh, it, you know aviation and even space weather, you know uh, uh and, and so uh, there's a broad list of messages that we expect people to understand, and you know that's really at the core of the issue here. Uh, and but
3: with only two of those, the tornado and the flash flood, there's also an emergency tag that comes with it so uh, I guess flood emergencies and tornado um, emergencies, what stipulates when those tags are used?
1: Right. And, and so uh, the emergency is one of the things that we want to look in very judiciously. So if you use a term like emergency, and, and this was uh, uh, something that just rose out of a need uh, uh, during one of the most severe uh, tornadoes in, in Oklahoma City, uh, and, and there was just no way to, to describe that this was a huge um, tornado on the ground about to uh, impact a major population. And, and so that's really the definition of when we use an emergency and similar for flood. If, if, if uh, uh, the, the flooding is so severe, you think about uh, Ellicott City and what would happen here uh, in the DC area, uh, that's another example. But I always uh, describe the um, uh, derecho back in 2012 that traversed uh, all the way from uh, the Midwest uh, we saw it in the morning uh, going through Chicago, went all the way to the East Coast, and there was just nothing other than a severe thunderstorm warning to describe this event. And, and so uh, the, the the idea of considering an emergency uh, is um, uh, to really be able to articulate that, hey, this one is really
4: different. And Eli, what brought about the possible changes to the system
1: Okay, so uh, this is where social science has come in. So we've had social scientists involved in this project right from the very beginning uh, back in 2014. And you know what's the motivation behind that? Well, you know we meteorologists and hydrologists, but um, we created a system but we don't have expertise in risk communication. So I've been privileged to work with a number of very talented social scientists um, who study this, how people prepare, how they monitor, uh, how they respond uh, to to uh, weather and water events, and um, to really uh, understand how how language and and color and and all of these factors that we presume people understand um, uh, interact with w- with how they really
4: do understand. Thank you for that answer. Um, I also want to ask um, if you could talk about some of the extensive research that has gone into this program as well. Right, and so the
1: research has been. Uh, uh, social science based and so we started in 2014 going with focus groups and throughout the project we have always involved a cross-section of the enterprise so the, the emergency managers of course are our core partner uh, and then the broadcasters are, are are so critical to be able to express our information to wide audiences Uh, And and so uh, we also have worked with other key stakeholders. Of course, our our own forecasters uh, have had input into the process. And so very early on, uh, we learned about the fact that the three terms are confused with each other and that there are too many of these products. And so uh, the project quickly uh, evolved into two main branches, and we call that the repair piece and the revamp piece, and I can get more into that a little later. But uh, just to answer your question about the research, uh, in addition to focus groups, uh, we had a, um, uh, a generalizable survey uh, towards the end of the project where we, we uh, polled some 10,000 people about possible changes to the system. Before that, I got a little ahead of myself there. We had something called an institutionalization survey. And we surveyed um, uh, 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 over 30 key constituencies about um, uh, how uh would it impact your operations if we removed the watch warning advisory terms? And that's where we learned that warning is the most institutionalized, the most embedded in policies, and advisory the least. And so that was an important piece of information. We had a big interdisciplinary workshop in 2015 where we created prototypes. So suppose you had a clean slate, and we had eight different breakout groups with, with um, again, emergency managers, broadcasters, social scientists, you name it, uh, enterprise partners, of course and um, uh, create a new system for us. And, and we, they came up with some prototypes that we were then able to follow on and test. And so the last piece of this process has been just in the past year. And that's been a really important piece of the, 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 the progress where uh, Dr. Daniel Nagel and I went to 25 different uh, uh, focus groups at six different forecast offices across the country, testing as many houses as we could uh, and, and testing uh, some alternatives uh, to find out what really would test the best. And that brings
4: us to where we are today. understand. Thank you very much. One, one quick follow-up. Um, what sort of elements are, are activated when you say warning versus watch, right? So we, we know watch and warning, but we want to keep the warning around.
5: What sort of things are, are
4: activated during that process? Is there emergency management tied in directly to warnings where they get um, activated to certain areas of their profession to be able to to help folks in times of
1: need? Oh, absolutely, and and, you know, one of the issues, I talked about the institutionalization, all three of the terms are institutionalized to some degree, and and that's really important. If we were going to make any change, we'd have to do this very carefully. So for example, I've been hearing as a result of the webinars that I held in the last few weeks uh, with partners that uh, even the term advisory, heat advisory, is a signal to open cooling centers. And so uh, that's, w- that's one way. Uh, all of our forecasters are, are providing outstanding decision support services to their core partners, their emergency managers, and, and uh, the, their issuance of our products uh, has a big influence on, on the types of decisions they make. And of course, that includes evacuation decisions. Uh, for hurricanes and and you know one of the things we we heard is that you you know to the degree we can expand the lead time of, of those types of triggers is important because some places take you know take the Florida Keys take such a long time to evacuate and and so that's that's a key to saving lives and property which of course is our mission all right and I think Scotty was up next yeah so
0: Eli we, you were talking about the social science and uh, kind of a, a I know you've went out to emergency management. You went to the Weather Service offices, broadcast meteorology. Have you guys been able to maybe go into some of these areas that's been affected by some of these maybe tornadoes, floods, and actually talk to the people and say, "Hey, when this was issued, did you understand what it what it meant?" I, w- w- have you been able to do any of those the public face to face conversations?
1: Uh, good question, Scotty. Uh, not so much face to face, but there's there's two main uh, vehicles that we use. Uh, as input into our process. So after every major event, um, or not everyone, but after particularly significant events, we'll do what are called service assessments. And we'll send teams out to interview people who were directly affected. And out of those service assessments come recommendations for changing in our national policy. And um, there are a number of service assessments where uh, uh, those types of messages get back. In terms of hazard simplification, the second piece, um, just to, to um, restate, we, this generalizable public survey. The term generalizable means that it is you specifically test the public uh, in in ways that the results uh, can be in, in, inferred to be generalizable to the entire population. And so um, that was, that's where the ten thousand members of the public, when we showed them the prototypes, we showed, some people got the current system, some people got uh, a few different prototypes, and we measured their how they monitored if at the watch level, how they responded at the warning level, or took action at the warning level. And so, uh, we we got the public input into the process by by those two means.
0: And, and so, through all of this, um, you guys have come up with two keywords that you've mentioned a little bit already: repair and revamp. So, can we talk a little bit about? what those mean and and maybe what repairing something means and maybe just what revamping uh, an already previous product.
1: Yeah, glad to do that, Scotty. So the repair uh, we defined as being making changes within the context of the existing system. So we're not changing the watch warning and advisory terms, but there are two main components of the repair effort that are already underway. The first is what we're calling consolidation, reducing the number of products, get below 100 products, Uh, You know, we're going much more towards an impact focus than on a phenomena focus. So it doesn't really matter, and Scotty, you and I were talking about this before the show, about what caused the flood, it's water in your basement. So the question is, how many flooding products do you need? So one of the most popular changes uh, that's coming up next year is to greatly reduce the number of um, our flood products. We're going to go from five flavors of flood advisory to just one and uh, flash flood watch and flood watch into one flood watch Um, and so that's an example we did some consolidation for winter Uh, we're going to be doing some uh, consolidation of small craft advisories later this year Uh, there's four flavors of those that are just going to go to one and that goes to the second piece of repair which is the reformatting. So, our messages in the past have been non-standard. Uh, they've been of varying lengths, different formats. So, from most of our products uh, that are not short fused, we're going towards a what, where, when, and impacts format. And in the what section of the message, which is right up top, that's where we can specify what kind of a flood it is for those who need that, need that information. But, but the headline is just going to be, uh, in, in the case of flood advisory, just one flood advisory, regardless of what the nature of, of, uh, is causing that inconvenience is. And so uh, th- that re- repair, uh, that reformatting, uh, is going to be spread across a great number of our products, all of our non-precipitating products, so that includes wind and, and temperature and wind chill and, and, uh, and some others, um, and uh, also our marine products coming up um, in the next year. actually coming up later this year. Okay. That's so, exactly so, what I was going to ask. So that's
2: yeah. <laughs> kind of my question. So from the time is it going to roll out nationwide or is it going to be like a region, for region thing, or how's the rollout going to happen?
1: No, this is, this is a nationwide. Uh, so, uh, uh we're going to be rolling that out later this fall for the reformatting. Uh, one other, um, uh, important piece is going to be the, um, uh, uh, impact-based tags that are going to be added to flash flood warnings. And so we're going to be going to, uh, uh, as with tornado warnings, and and uh, what will be coming to severe, but let me focus on tornado. We have a base tag, a considerable tag, and a catastrophic tag. And that's where the emergency comes from, is from that catastrophic tag. So in the case of, of flash flood warnings, uh, and this pertains to wireless emergency alerts, your phone going off. And, and so the phone will only go off Uh, starting later this fall, uh, for considerable and catastrophic tags, Uh, and so uh, that's going to reduce the amount of false alerting. Now, I I use that advisedly, the false alerting. A flash flood is always uh, a uh, life-threatening type of uh, event, but the fear is that if, given the number of flash flood warnings that are issued, uh, that people we fear that people will turn their phones off, will turn their alerting function off, and that's the last thing we want because that would apply to all hazards. So it, it's a delicate balance, and we'll be collecting uh, feedback uh, as we go forward. One of the things I always say about the Hazard Simplification Project is we aim to be flexible. Uh, we lean forward. Um, maybe on occasion we lean forward a little bit too far, but we can always adjust and try and reach that, that perfect balance, and we realize it's important to get there given that lives and and property are at risk.
0: Eli, one thing that that I've seen here in Western North Carolina, this happened last year with Tropical Storm Alberto, we saw a flash flood uh, emergency issue for possible dam failures. Will that continue in in this? Uh, I know we've seen that, uh, I think, a case out in California and and a a few others, but will the the possibility of, of dam failure still be included in maybe a flash flood emergency?
1: Well, yeah. So the the, damp, the, the the nature of the flooding would be in the what section of the message, and then if if that's a catas- considerable or a catastrophic, uh, that will that would be an emergency in that case.
0: And, and so um, I was looking at this. Uh, you one other thing I want to hit on, and I know that that Ricky's got some questions. Uh, you were talking about you know we're kind of consolidating advisories, flood products, and things like that. One thing you had mentioned earlier was maybe adding a, a product to uh, increase awareness for severe thunderstorms. And I know um, just a couple of weeks ago in Wisconsin, Minnesota, we saw a derecho move through uh, w- that's created catastrophic damage with, with, you know, winds 80, 90, 100 miles per hour. Is there any indication? I know you guys, you talked about a little bit about it. We, could we possibly see uh, maybe, uh, maybe not at a, a, a Severe thunderstorm emergency, but maybe some higher emphasis on on these severe storms that may have higher wind gusts than the 60 and 70 mile per hour uh, that we're used to.
1: Absolutely I think that's that's one of the key things we want to look at and I think thunderstorms are a great candidate for that. Um, and the derecho, as I mentioned earlier is a great uh, uh, case for that. you know we had a broadcaster on one of our focus groups who said that uh, he was not able to get on the air uh, for the derecho at that point, because, uh, it was just a severe thunderstorm warning and his, you know, news producers were saying, Hey, it's not a tornado, you know, and, and, uh, there was no way to really explain that this one was different. So I think a thunderstorm emergency, uh, you know, I'm just throwing that out there. We'd have to coordinate that and, and, and collect a lot of comment on it. But, uh, that's one of the, uh, that's one of the improvements I think that's on the table
2: for us to explore. Are there any other products that the emergency warning is being considered for?
1: Well, that's a great question. We're actually collecting uh, feedback from our our service leads. So I mentioned we have 11 service programs. Each of them has a lead. And we're asking that question. Uh, we're, we're at, and, and each of these service leads has stakeholders uh, that go all the way on, down to the WCMs and out to their partners. And so we're collecting that feedback. We also collected that feedback at the partners webinar. Um, as to which hazards might inherit an emergency level. And then the question is, well, do you want to do it the way we're already doing it for flash floods and tornadoes to do it within the context of the warning, uh, but just to say it's an emergency and and use the impact-based warning machine-readable tags, Or do you want to actually create new products so the idea of creating new products and hazard simplification kind of is goes against the grain uh to create a new emergency product because we're trying to reduce the number of products but certainly communicating the threat for additional hazards is on the table and uh, but at the same time you really
2: have to be careful about using that word emergency and i think speaking from a broadcaster perspective i mean it the impact-based warnings have improved our communication so much because it allows us to quickly glance at the warnings, see what the main hazard is, and see the severity. We are I'm in eastern Tennessee. We get a lot of pulse, severe thunderstorm warnings, 60-mile-per-hour winds, standard one-inch hail. Uh, but being able to look at that and say, hey, the weather service is warning for 70-mile-per-hour winds or 80-mile-per-hour winds is significant uh, with those impact-based warnings. And especially with the tornado warnings too, the tornado reported or tornado uh, PDS warnings, it, it helps us out tremendously. And, and you know, uh, for, for any, everybody
1: who's watching this show, uh, you know, the feedback uh, from all of you is so important too. And you know, uh, and well, we can expl- talk later about how you can provide that. But um, uh, we're collecting feedback from across the enterprise. This is a pretty big deal.
2: And you know, t- we can jump into that a little bit. I mean, so some of the feedback that you guys have gotten. Uh, what were the main reasons of why, let's say, the flood advisories were consolidated?
1: Um, it's, there's just so many different flood products. I mean, we, we've had, uh, you know, I forget the exact number, but I think it's, it's well over 10 to say, watch out, turn around, don't drown, right? Um, and then the flood advisories in particular, there were so many different, we, we wanted to really be specific. And valid time event code allowed us to do that to be really specific. Although, I have to say the, the flood advisories just have one uh, getting a little technical here, but but backing away from that for a minute, just so many flood products. And really what you're trying to say is, you know, don't drive through flooded roadways, turn around, don't drown. And so we're investigating the, so the flash flood warning is its own unique product. I sometimes call these primary hazards, as you might think of primary colors. There's, there's some products beyond which you don't want to, um, uh uh, consolidate that you don't want to consolidate and flash flood warning is one of those uh, and and so um you know blizzard warning is is likely another it, it it has its own connotation people understand what it means and it carries a level of urgency that you don't want to lose um, but there's many products which you know we we felt and our survey showed we could consolidate and really the the consolidation surveys we got for flooding were very very positive um, and
2: We talked a lot about consolidation. uh, Two new products or one new product especially that's come to mind uh, that I can think of in the past couple of years was a snow squall warning. Was that anything that came out of this hazard simplification process or was that something separate? Well, that really,
1: it's um, a little bit of an anachronism. Uh, You know, again, adding uh, products where we're trying to reduce them. But this was a case where, uh, and it happens in various locations, close to home here. It always seems that once a year, somewhere in central Pennsylvania, there's a a, a very, uh, Quick, heavy snow squall with a cold front. Well, usually with some with an Arctic front that comes through, and it dumps. It goes to zero visibility for for 15 to 20 minutes, and 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 people get injured, and and there are fatalities as a result of that. Um, we didn't have a very fine scale tool, as we have say for tornado warnings, to get down to the fine geographical scale to warn of these very specific hazardous events. Uh, winter storm warning wouldn't do it. That covers entire you know zones and counties and uh, it wasn't a lake effect snow warning, so uh, it, we, we decided um, based on partner feedback that, that this was uh, 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 something we wanted to do. And also, same for dust storm warnings. If you think out west in, uh, in Arizona with these huge counties, uh, we needed a, a very fine-scale product that would enable us to, um, uh, to, to message more specifically.
2: Where are you guys, if you could put a timeline on it, where are you guys now? and then when do you think this whole process wraps up? Is there a timeline that, that's been specified at all? Well, we do have um, expectations
1: with repair. So the, the repair uh, requirements, and in other, in other words, what we want to change, we're getting p- pretty close to done with that, and I expect that within two years, whatever consolidation and reformatting uh, that's going to uh, be done uh, is pretty much going to be done. Uh, we haven't talked yet about the revamp. Um, that, that's uh, a more complicated process, um, but uh, I'll just go right into that if that's all right, uh, w- which is uh, uh, based on all the social science that we received and the testing we did for various alternatives uh, to watch an advisory, and even for warning in terms of testing color, uh, we have decided uh, that uh, we, we are going to test the feasibility of removing advisory from the system. The reason for that is that the all of the surveys show that advisory is the least well understood term and that it is badly misunderstood with watch. That was the big surprise in the research. Uh, uh, there is confusion between watch and warning, no doubt. That That's always there. But what we heard from a lot of our partners is we tested the word notice in place of watch and that enjoyed some pretty good um, uh, success Um, Even in the focus groups, there were some of our prototypes that tested well in the generalizable survey. That was the one with 10,000 members of the public across various hazards. Um, And so those are the the ones that did the best, were the ones we took into the focus groups. Um, What may be surprising to you is that we tested a color system, much as they use in Europe, uh, and and even in other countries, so kind of an orange warning, red warning approach. Um, It did not test well out with our focus groups. For various reasons, uh, one because of the number of agencies we have across uh, the federal and state governments, even that use different color scales for different types of things. Uh, we red means tornado in the Midwest, so if you used uh, you know red, it would always connote c- uh, a tornado. We have red flag warnings, um, there were, and and then emergency managers have their own color coded system, and so. Uh, Oh, quite honestly, I thought that was the way we might go is to use a color coded system for language, all right? But we did find that color as a supplemental tool, you know, say how it colors your cell phone, and that, of course, is really important uh, to make sure that these changes convey to mobile devices uh, would work. But in the end, um, the three, what I I stressed earlier, how the, the three terms that are hierarchical. Uh, or that are not hierarchical rather, but are interpreted to be that way. Um, that's really the root of the problem and the fact that advisory is not well understood and that it's confused with watch. And so the, the what we're testing now is the idea of going to watch and warning and then using what we're calling a descriptive message. That's not the name of the product, but just a description of the sub warning hazards. We did hear uh, particularly from broadcasters um, and also from emergency managers that the advisory level is important, but they everyone agreed that the term is not really very well understood and it wasn't very important to them. So we're testing the idea of using something along the lines of a special weather statement You know, because as a broadcaster, you'll probably realize you don't read on the air. The Weather Service has issued a special weather statement. You just uh, read what the statement is. And so the big question is, does this product need a name? Is it a product even? It's just information. So if you think about information below the watch and warning level, then hazards are either possible or happening if they're significant and everything else is just information. And so... um, that's a lot, <laughs> but uh, uh, that's, that's actually, a, essentially it.
2: We've actually taken our, our crawl system and been able to parse the warnings. And when the Weather Service puts out a special weather statement or significant weather advisory, we use a somewhat different term, and we use a strong thunderstorm alert. That's what pops up on our banners uh, to discuss to the public. That's what's happening. But but you're right. In a, in a way, it's almost like we've been issuing advisories through special weather statements, significant weather advisories for a long time now for these sub severe storms, uh, that could almost easily be grouped into something else. And so I'm very curious to see how the weather message thing works out, uh, with the whole revamp system.
1: You know, me too, you know, and, and one other piece about this is that, uh, we have all kinds of policy. Um, uh, for each of our products, and a lot of them are criteria-based. Um, so, you, you know, different parts of the country have different inches of snow for a winter storm warning and a winter weather advisory, for example. Um, and so our forecasters, you know, uh, follow our policy and uh, are concerned about how many inches of snow there will be, but what we really want is for um, the focus to be on the impact. And so um, if there's a half inch of snow, of, um, of snow at rush hour that comes in you know 10 minutes in Washington, DC, well maybe that's a warning, you know, and, and so if we focus less on the these breakpoints between a special weather statement and advisory, and advisory and warning, and make it more of a continuum of information with the what section of the message um, and something called common alerting protocol, which is really coming, uh, which is machine readable urgency, severity, and certainty. Our forecasters for the first time uh, with new warning software that's coming in a, in a few years uh, are going to be able to specify that themselves. And so that urgency, severity, and certainty could link to colors that show up in your cell phone, could link to specific language of urgency that, that comes across in the message, rather than relying on the headline and the three terms to, to make these distinctions for you.
0: Eli, I had to bring out my notes that I took from uh, your webinar last week. And you're talking about removing the advisory and something that Ricky was talking about. I'm curious as well because we live here in the southeast. Um, although we don't get a lot of winter weather events, we get one or two throughout the year. And I'm wondering, you know, when we have maybe a morning snowfall and school officials have to make that decision. Um, sometimes the winter weather advisory may have not meant much to them and so I'll, yeah, I'm wondering if that may go into to play too of how how officials who need to make these decisions maybe you know two inches of snow in North Carolina is going to shut everything down where in Washington DC it may not so that that's going to be interesting to see uh, if, if, if we do get rid of the winter weather advisory and make it like a Specialized weather statement about about snow from a different time frame. I, I think that's going to be interesting to see how that works out.
1: Well, and Scotty, you know, the the issue of, of um, the, the south and winter weather is, of course, very important. We had Atlanta snow jam where well, that was a, a major issue. Um, but the one thing I want to point out is that if we do away with the advisory headline, we're still going to be able to retain the specific um messaging that comes along with an advisory, whether that's the language we use that people hear or whether it's the machine-readable code that um, our partners ingest to to run their systems, we don't need to lose that. And I think that that's a really important piece here, and that's what we're going to have to be workshopping uh, with all our dissemination uh, experts and and such. So um, we don't want to lose any information. Uh, We just want to lose the confusion.
0: And I liked where you said we could see maybe short fused warnings like winter weather. Uh, like you said, in Washington, DC, if you get a half inch of snow and a 20 minute time span, you know, is that a warning area? And, and I think that could really be useful here in the South where we see uh, maybe a couple, two, three hours in the morning where we start a snow and then transition to rain. So I think that, that that's definitely a good idea. And hopefully uh, it'll get people's attention to see, you know, just because we're expecting a lower amount, we still expect to see major impacts. So, uh, so yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting to see how this goes. So my, my next question to you, and we will kind of I'll end with this unless any of our panelists have anything. Um Ricky kind of alluded to it already. What's the path of this? What's the next six months, maybe year for the hazard simplification program? Uh, what are the next steps for you guys in getting everything implemented? I know you said we're gonna start seeing some changes later on this year, but kind of give us a timeline of what to expect. Sure,
1: okay. So we the webinars that we held last week that you attended were not without purpose. We collected feedback from those webinars and we're collecting feedback from our service experts on the issues such as emergencies, such as what would uh, we do if we lost the word advisory. We're having uh, uh, an internal workshop to to analyze all that data uh, next month, and then uh, the output from that is going to start uh, driving some um, some uh, proposals that we will uh, in all of our proposals. Any change that we make. We always send out a public information statement. We we give wide opportunities for, for comment, and I'll be happy to do as many webinars as needed to, to collect comment from, from uh, all of you out there. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll see how it gels and and uh, uh, then go to our senior leadership and say, hey, listen, this is what we found, and here are the the changes that um, we'd recommend. And then the, the thing that's important, though, is that even if we made a decision on uh, something very concrete within a year, which uh, honestly is um, uh, my goal, uh, then uh, there's a lot of detail. So first of all, uh, the, um, the community, if we make changes, are going to have to update their, their uh, protocols and, they're gonna ha- and their documentation. Uh, we have to educate. Um, we have to develop all the software and all the policy and make sure all the dissemination systems are working. So, um, you know, what may seem like a simple change uh, at the surface has an awful lot of tentacles. And this is our warning system. So it's very, very important that we get this right and that we, we test it and, and make sure that it works well. So um, you're not going to see these changes implemented fully in the same scale as the repair, which is the next few years. But uh, hopefully within a few years after that, if we can get all of our requirements to our software developers um, in, in the next year or two. Uh, then we can, um, you know, really provide more definitive timelines at that point.
2: How much from a, from an internal weather service standpoint, you mentioned new software coming. Uh, when one of these decisions is made, let's say, for example, the decision later this year to go from uh, five different flood advisory terms to just one, what's the process like internally in the weather service to get that implemented through AWIPS?
1: Right. And so um, what we need to do is, again, we send out the public information statement, we we uh, uh, analyze the data, we present that to our our senior leadership for the, for the validation. And once they validate it, yes, then we have to pass off these requirements to our software developers. Uh, you mentioned AWIPS, absolutely. And there's varying levels of complexity. Uh, the, the small craft advisory change that's going to happen this November, where we're going to go from four products to one is actually just going to be a policy change. There's no software needed there, although there's some more uh, changes that may come later on after that. Um, but yes, and if we have to change the VTech codes or change uh, uh, anything else in the software, um, there's a lot of priorities in the plates of our software team. Uh, and and so, um, uh, you know, we submit it to them and, and they do what they can, but it
2: takes some time. In other words, it's a good day to be a programmer in the weather service because you've got some job security coming your way. <laughs> well, uh, there's, there's a lot of great innovations coming uh,
1: from, uh, you know, we have so many smart people in the field and there's so many innovations out there. Uh, and it comes up here through headquarters and um, uh, we have to rack and stock it. We don't have enough. Uh, we wish we could develop everything that comes our, our, our way. But, um, um, you know, we, we pick the highest priorities and then focus there.
0: Well, Eli, we, we certainly appreciate you uh, joining us tonight and out of your busy schedule. Um, if, if folks want to learn more about this, is there a website, maybe uh, maybe some articles that they can read up on?
1: Right. So uh, just go and, and Google our hazard, National Weather Service Hazard Simplification. Our website will come up. I don't know if you can put the slide up, uh, Scotty, where I, I sent you our uh, our website and also our email address, uh, hassymp.com at NOAA.gov, H-A-Z-S-I-M-P, one word, at NOAA.gov, and uh, I will see and all the emails, and I, I make it my policy to respond to uh, all of them. So far, I'm successful at that. Um, uh, I want to be responsive and, and analyze everything that comes in, so please do let us know what you think, either now or as the project evolves and you see more from us.
0: Yeah, we'll definitely uh, tweet out uh, the website again that you guys can um, check out the information. Um, Eli, anything else to add on before uh, before we close this part of the interview?
1: No, for, first of all, thank you so much for having me and, and for helping me to get the word out. And uh, we really do want to hear from the community on this. We want to do the right thing. Um, uh, the, the evidence uh, over five years of social science with six or seven engagements has, has indicated that Uh, The advisory term is really the one that is least understood, and the three terms together is part of the problem. And so uh, that's the direction we're investigating, but no final decisions have been made yet, and all the input we receive will be critical.
0: All right. That sounds great. Eli, thank you so much. Check out the Hazard Simplification website. We'll be able to uh, tweet that out and put that out on our social media channels. We appreciate it. And uh, we may have to have you maybe sometime next year to kind of catch up and see how the process is going. Uh, We definitely appreciate your time tonight.
1: And, and, And I appreciate that. And I'd be happy to come back. Thanks a lot, Scotty and everybody.
0: Thank you Eli. We're going to go to break right now. Uh, It is summer season. A lot of folks taking that last minute vacation before uh, school starts back. Uh, Let's learn a little bit about rip currents.
5: If you get caught in a rip current, you want to know your options. The first thing is to relax. Rip currents won't pull you under. They'll just pull you away from shore. If you can, swim out of the current along the beach and then back to shore at an angle following the breaking waves. If you can't escape, float or tread water while you wave and call for help on shore. But you also want to know your options if you're on shore and you see someone caught in a rip current who needs help. First, stay calm and take 10 seconds to think through your options. Alert lifeguards or someone on the beach. If there's no one to help, call 911. Look for a flotation device or anything that floats and see if you can get it to the person without entering the water. If you must enter the water, remember to always take a flotation device. All too often, someone attempting to make the rescue without the proper training and equipment is the one who drowns. Don't be a victim. Protect yourself so you can protect others. Remember to always be aware of potential hazards and that ocean conditions can change quickly. And if possible, swim near a lifeguard. If you make sure to know your options before you head to the beach, you'll be prepared for hazardous rip currents so you and your loved ones stay safe.
6: That is some pretty. Uh, catchy music there. and Welcome back to the Carolina Weather Group. Nine o'clock. James and here in Charlotte. We uh, just had a thunderstorm roll on through here in South Charlotte. Matter of fact, let's go out to radar right now as we kick off our 9 p.m. hour roundtable. We have two severe thunderstorm warnings right now across the Carolinas to tell you about. So much like uh, the activity earlier today, this is isolated to North Carolina right now. We'll talk a little bit about what South Carolina saw a little bit earlier. Uh, just getting word now the National Weather Service has canceled the severe thunderstorm warning for Davidson and Randolph. Uh, but we do have a new severe thunderstorm warning right now for Craven, Jones, and Pamlico counties into 945. I apologize. I think I said that wrong. But this is for the New Bern area of eastern North Carolina with a severe thunderstorm capable of 60 mile-per-hour winds and at least quarter-size hail. It's on the right side of your screen there. The uh, polygon has not yet shown up there on the screen, but that was issued while we were in break. So, again, we'll be tracking uh, that severe thunderstorm warning as it makes its way uh, through eastern eastern north carolina there uh as uh we are coming out of a fairly active day uh where we saw weather popping up across the area jared smith you're up on my screen right now and you guys were not in the slight risk there in charleston south carolina but that didn't stop you guys from seeing a few rumbles of thunder as i understand it
4: no certainly not uh it it a, a few of us uh, heard some rumbles of thunder, didn't get any rain. A lot of us didn't get any rain, but where you got the rain. It was very heavy. Uh, we had a gauge measure, uh, 3.6 inches of rain uh, in uh, northern parts of Mount Pleasant, a little area called Park West, Planners Point in that area. Um, there's a real nice little bullseye on the radar, uh, uh, precipitation product there. Others got nothing. I got nothing today. Um, heard a lot of thunder, a lot of thunder propagating, but n- no rains. So just very much hit or miss. Um and, uh, you know, it looks to continue. We have a couple of hail reports are really the thing. We had uh, several reports of uh, p to uh, nickel-sized hail from the storm uh, down towards Bluffton. Uh, there was a spotter report of quarter size hail. So, you know, we, you know, we certainly had uh, our fair share of weather for some people. Some of us will not. Maybe some of us will see some weather tomorrow. Um, but other than that, it's getting hot uh getting very hot down here we'll get into that here in a few minutes but uh let's talk a little bit about the active weather today uh including a possible brief
6: tornado uh figure eight reports up here on the screen as well too to complement what you've been talking
2: about
4: yeah we have a lot of wind damage reports in north carolina um and then getting into virginia plenty of them there and i'm sure that we haven't gotten all of these These is just preliminary there's probably a lot more to Roll in if uh, if warning ops are still going on at the weather service offices. I suspect they don't have a lot of time to log LSRs just yet. So uh, I'm sure this will fill in as time goes on. But um, but yeah, there was there may have been a brief tornado today at Figure Eight Island between Wrightsville Beach and Topsail Island. Uh, thunderstorms moved through Southeast North Carolina earlier today. It looks like they're trying to do that again. Um, trying to figure out whether it. Touchdown or not, we don't know that it necessarily did and what kind of damage was done. Uh, the Weather Service will confirm that for us and they'll let us know uh, if or if not. But uh, several videos were uh, sent in here. Um, this was a... Let me, uh, let me do a couple things here. I'm going to get this shared out for you guys. We're, we're using a new technology here, and so I just want to make sure that I'm doing it right. Um <laughs> But uh, here's a, here's a video from Eric Davis, meteorologist at WECT. And I did not mean to stop my video there. My bad. <laughs> and then, yep, So I'm still learning where everything is. And I apologize for that. But pretty good looking video of a funnel here. I am going to, here we go. In just a moment, we're going to share.
6: Your office doesn't this. use Zoom, Sharon?
4: No, we don't use Zoom. Believe it or not, we don't use Zoom. At least I don't. But anyway, so here is the um all right, so my screen share, there it goes. Uh, not the best buzzer beaters TDs in NFL history. Apparently I like a lot of sports, but yeah, there's so there's your funnel. Um and uh yeah, that looks uh I'm trying to kick it in the full it looks like here. a full screen. Yeah, I've never seen a funnel.
6: Oh that also looks like a full yeah. there it goes.
4: Mm, there it goes, yeah. There's your funnel and uh yeah, spin it up pretty nicely. Uh, my you know, a nice little spin up. That looks like it's on the ground, so what? we'll see what the weather service finds
0: looks to me to be on the ground we'll we'll see
4: yeah we'll we'll see what the weather service finds, but that is uh yeah that's 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 uh that's pretty much that's on the level uh so certainly uh, interesting to see what what happens there it, again you know august uh, this time of year we have a good bit of water spouts that happen down here in Charleston. Um, and you can get these spin-up tornadoes. They, storms uh, hook onto the sea breeze, especially if you have some westerly flow aloft. Um, they can start to rotate. With The storm that we had earlier today um, in Charleston had some persistent rotation on it for a little bit that we were keeping an eye on. It was sometimes got pretty deep, so that was uh, certainly an interesting thing. So speaking of Wrightsville Beach, uh, Sunday was a bad day there, too. We had 40 swimmers rescued due to rip. Currents. we saw the rip current video earlier this is one one of the reasons why we played the rip current video is, is because 40 people need to see it. Um, it, it, the good news is, <laughs> is that it doesn't seem like anybody was hurt. <laughs> and, and, and then that's a good thing, you know, it, but these are dangerous. Rip currents are dangerous. I mean, they, they, you always hear of uh, fatalities from these things. And so please, you know, be careful, you know, when the red flags are up as they were, and the weather service had the, um, they had the uh, moderate risk rip currents out, but I guess it was. <laughs> I mean, I guess they could have gone to a high and not really been a big deal considering all the rescues uh, from the rips there. And again, these can happen at any time. So we need people to be careful of these things, especially as we get towards the end of the summer. Um, they can just take you right out, and, and it's, not, it's not fun. It's, it's uh, not a good thing. So something to be watching there. Fortunately, no word on injuries on that. And finally, at the risk of jinxing it, the tropics quiet. They're going to, they might stay that way for at least a few days. We're getting close to the peak of the season though. So don't get too excited about no hurricanes, but don't let your guard down. But you know what? I'm going to take this as long as I can. So uh, we got Evan. He's going to talk a little bit about the, the month that was of July in uh, Carolina weather.
3: Yeah, Jared. Thank you. So we're about a week removed from July now, which is hard to believe. We're only 24 days in the beginning of meteorological fall. So, wow, I don't know where summer went, um, but truthfully, I'm excited because hey, it's one of the best seasons, probably the best season. Sorry, Scotty. Scotty likes the hot weather, but not about that. Anyways, let's talk about the weather for the Carolinas uh, throughout July. It was actually a warmer than average month for both of the states. As you can see here. The that, that
6: sounds about right.
3: Yeah, you know, it's summertime. It's hot. It's felt hot. But it was 0.8 degrees uh, Fahrenheit above average in North Carolina. There was a high point of 105 in Dunn out in the central, um, can you call it the Sandhills? I'm not quite sure. And then as low as 43 in Mount Jefferson. It's about a 65 degree departure between those two highs um, or those two temperatures, which is pretty substantial. 43 is very cold uh, for July in North Carolina. It is, so. It was the 28th warmest month, uh, warmest, warmest July on record here in North Carolina. And I'm going to see if I can – I'm trying to switch to the next one. You know what's be- interesting
6: about 28 is you would almost think it would have been higher. We are constantly breaking these records. And not, yeah, that, it- not that 28th isn't significant, but I would have thought it would have been higher. Because think how many days we were probably It it
3: constantly felt hot, but I think the humidity also played a big role in that. That's true, because these are
6: uh, air temperature readings, aren't they?
3: Yeah, there was a five-day period when Mount Jefferson recorded that 43 where it was cooler, I guess you could say, Um, but even cooler in July is still not truly cool. But we can move on to the precipitation data. It was, once again, below uh, below average, so just barely below average in North Carolina, and you can kind of see on the map here that just like typical summertime pattern, it was spotty rain here and there. So parts of western North Carolina were above average, but parts of eastern and central Carolina, North Carolina were below average or near average. Um, so it, was, it wasn't it was too far below and I think 44th driest overall out of 125 years. So that's, that's pretty close to middle ground, I'd say. Um, and then, yeah, that actually – some of that rain in eastern North Carolina managed to bring down the drought monitor just a tad – um, over eastern North Carolina, and we didn't see any of the, a little bit of reduction in moderate drought, but a nice reduction in the abnormally dry uh, intensity over that portion of North Carolina. Now, moving over to South Carolina, it was also warmer than average, but uh, significantly warmer than North Carolina was. A degree and a half above average with a high of 103 in Helion. Helion, maybe getting that right and a low of 48 in Jaxi. Um So that's a, that's a pretty typical cold spot for South Carolina. Um, but that one was definitely much warmer than normal. Um, and then also, I believe it was just slightly colder than last July. Precipitation wise, it was pretty dry in the northeastern or northwestern parts of the state. Uh, there was a co-op in Anderson that barely recorded an inch and one fountain in that didn't even crack an inch for the month, so .81 inches of rain is very dry, but on the opposite side of the spectrum, down Jared's way, they had 12 twelve and a half inches of rain in Somerville. Um, that is that's over that's over a foot. So that's maybe three times as much as they normally see in a month in the month of July. That's three hundred percent departure. But overall, it was dry for the state, inch and a half below their normal July precipitation. Um, then there was a, definitely an increase in that drought monitor across the state. So that is july in um, review and i guess we'll be doing august and time's flying by no
0: that's funny you know how many times has it been jared that the western part of the carolinas has been wetter than your part of the area South.
4: You know, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that, you know, one, you guys have been in a little better proximity to the disturbances. We're, we've been under a ridge. We've, you know, we, we spent a good bit of July, you know, with a fair bit of ridging. And then with the sea breeze, you know, that sea breeze often clears out and only gets to and only starts really getting those parcels lifted when you get into around Somerville. Um, and so, you know, so that sea breeze will clear charleston it'll be a beautiful day downtown i'm not gonna see in it you're not gonna see a bit of rain but you get into somerville and you're gonna have a day where you ring out two to three inches of rain in a spot that's kind of what happened today in mount pleasant um and it, it, it's just very much hit or miss very much very few far few and far between but we have not had any organized weather systems make it this far south we had um, a couple of those stalled
6: out fronts too between us mm-hmm. that i think also yeah, kept well, we us had- on the water side
4: Yep, we had the stalled-out fronts there. I mean, we really enjoyed that one stalled-out front in the middle of the month. That was great. And uh, I, I hate the wedge most, most of the year, but but in the months of July, uh, June, July, and August, I am pro-wedge. I'm 100% pro-wedge. Love the wedge uh, in those months. And um, The only and wedge so- I like is pizza wedge.
0: <laughs> I don't want pizza. any wedge. What's
6: a pizza wedge? <laughs>
4: a wedge. A, slice. Ice in the wedge.
0: A, a wedge salad, maybe, with that.
6: Yeah, you can get a wedge salad, but the pizza wedge is not a thing, Scotty.
0: Oh, uh, okay.
6: Wow. <laughs>
0: Anyways,
3: because he's a fan of the summertime, those people are crazy. They don't understand. This
6: what is what happens. I disagree when we, put, when we go into a quad box. <laughs> yep. I know this is like the
0: Brady bunch right here. Like I'm looking over here at Evan right now.
4: Yeah, yeah We got we we've got a uh, you know we, we just uh, the gloves chaos. the gloves come off. Chaos disorder and quad boxes. But um, the, uh, y- you know, it- it's just been fascinating to see. This has been an interesting pattern. We've had this consistent trough in the east and in and, and, and the ridging in the uh, we've got, I mean, it's a freaking omega block for crying out loud. Like it's August. Like, why are we trying? But, but keep it because the tropics are quiet. I don't have to worry about anything. Like there's, you know, I mean, careful now the, 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 at least not right now, knocking on wood. I well, had the Jared, second time I've had to do it tonight.
0: You know, Jared, we're going to have that heat ridge It's going to start moving in towards yep. the mid part of this month. And the old saying, ridge over troubled
4: waters. Uh-huh. Exactly. So, again, like like we said, like, like I said in the news segment, guys, it ain't over yet. I mean, <laughs> it, this, isn't, this isn't over by a long shot, but we're going to take what we can get.
6: I'm still stuck on ridge over troubled waters.
4: <laughs> it's it's true it's 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 a beautiful way to put it little, those little tropical s-
0: systems like to sneak in here when we have a, a mm-hmm. bridge so we'll we'll see
6: mm-hmm. hey, i mean I think statistically september
0: yeah,
6: is when that spikes
0: so I, we're getting it it's like going up the incline of a roller coaster right now we're about to not yeah.
4: mm-hmm.
0: to get to the to the peak so
4: yeah that so, roller coaster is steep too
6: Right, anyone who's sitting at home right now thinking, oh, I guess the tropics just isn't going to do anything this year. Like, there's... there's like, we're we're like, on the chain now on that first we're, lift We're of
0: the so convinced that something's going to happen. We've got an open show date in September just waiting for something to happen that week.
3: So, listen, tropics, something needs to happen, but it does not need to be bad. Because otherwise we're going to be doing this that week. Every night. Which I'll be okay with.
0: We'll be in we'll our look, little quad box, but we'll have, hey, listen, now we can have up to 100 people on this show. That so would be you. a lot of people in a quad box. 100 box? box? Yeah. Y'all just, y'all don't know about this new program we got. Listen, you we're guys, glad Google Hangouts is going. This gone. is
6: very inside baseball, but WSB in Atlanta, during their snow coverage, is known for making ridiculous, like, 100 reporter boxes. Watch it out, WSB. Be coming for you.
4: Well, the thing I love about the quad box is uh, that, you know, we can we can all be in our own quadrant. You know, it's like if I'm in the northeast quadrant, I've got a lot of tornadoes. If I'm if Evan's (laughs) in the southwest quadrant, he's got nothing going on. He's really bored, you know. So anyway, sorry, that was a really
3: Uh, y'all gave me the northwest for northwest flow. James really loves me. I thought we were going to do
6: the Brady Brady Bunch thing and just kind of all turn smile at each other.
4: Oh my goodness! Are
0: you enjoying this this random talk? Because we're still live talking to you, right? Oh, hello. <laughs> this is like Carolina Weather Group after dark. That's right. Then. This is
6: what normally happens when we go off. Yep. Uh, but here we are.
0: We're um, actually so- we've actually got a sp- peak in viewership spikes. I'm watching on my phone right now. So.
4: While we're here, up? I I I figure that I would do our viewers a service and show Thank them you. the curve of the peak of the season we are about can you guys see my mouse is my yeah, mouse coming through on that okay cool we are here we got a long way up the hill yeah, so again was, folks um,
6: florence florence was above, I mean, right september and then florence michael was, was october right
4: around here i want to yeah, say again, florence was after the peak and michael was in october michael yeah. was in october again you can still get nasty storms uh, going down the peak again this is just frequency right so um it, and as you can see that frequency can jump up quick i mean we had you know two years ago we all remember it well it was pretty quiet and then uh we were all celebrating the eclipse and then right after that we had harvey we had irma we had you know and it's just bang 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 so again these
6: things can turn on a dime that's that story um, that jim cantori t- told on our show right he went from covering yep. the eclipse and immediately just didn't even go home i don't think yeah. Exactly
4: right. So, so again, these things can turn. So uh, stay aware, but enjoy the uh, quietness in the tropics.
0: Yeah, yeah, enjoy it. Um, I was seeing we're starting to get these winter um, predictions. Um, we get these long-term model runs that go out into – December and January and we're starting to see these trickle in and uh, the sea surface temperatures remain warm through winter so that just goes on to the tropics that you know there's no lack of warm water out there for these storms to to breed off of so um, I'm just happy
6: you mentioned computer models and not fog days and beans in a jar
0: yeah yeah so how have we we not
3: talked about that yet
0: we had our first foggy morning here on yesterday Tuesday so i put a bean in the jar now, some friends in the mountains have already got four beans in the
3: jars. Can, we got can like you just seven ex- now.
6: The people in the mountains probably don't think this needs to be explained, at least the ones who are participating <laughs> in it, but for the rest of us, maybe us transplants, could you? Sure. We're a
3: different breed up here.
6: So, so.
0: this? There's a weather folklore out there, and I had my weather folklore book around here somewhere, but I can't find it right now. But for every foggy morning in August, you're supposed to drop a bean in a jar, a cup, whatever you want to drop it in. and At the end of August, you empty it out, and you count how many beans are in there, and that's supposed to uh, equal how many snows that you'll have during
6: the winter season. So I'm asking the have, people in the comments right now to weigh in on whether or not they do yes. this. Okay. I what type of beans? Before. How big of a I, jar?
0: I, I see there's people that they ask me, you know, what kind of beans is there a difference between big beans and small? I don't I don't know. I don't really trust weather folklore, but I just know that people do it around here. So I've started doing it just to see what happens.
3: There's nothing to it. I did the research last year and I pulled it up here. So I'm going to screen share real quick. Um, this is going to be the messiest graph you've ever seen because I'm, I'm not touching it up. Now,
0: See, Evan gets more foggy days than I do because he
3: lives. In
6: the well, that's right. Share. Where are we reporting this from? But the there's just there's
3: there's no cor- correlation on that anywhere. So he's, even
6: got a
0: old, he's even got a spreadsheet with all this information.
3: I don't, oh, yeah, why I did you not put 80.
6: this in the notes for the show?
3: Um, that's a good question.
0: <laughs> so you had six foggy days last year, and you had 12, 12 inches of snow as okay. Yeah, about?
3: but I'm also I'm I don't think that the KAVL sensor does a good job of reporting fog. Because we have way more than six. So How you're you saying
6: that you have to do it again this time? year, but at a different reporting location.
3: Sure. Yes. Yeah, I'll pick well,
4: at and We're going to reject this paper. Yep, we're rejecting this paper. Yep. yep. That's <laughs> the beans are real.
6: Peer reviewed.
4: Beans are real <laughs> until further notice.
6: 2011,
0: you didn't have any snow measured at all?
3: No, we, I think we may have had half an inch. Sorry, I'll, I'll reshare that.
0: How does that happen?
3: Yeah, that was a weird winter.
6: Well, it's like watching a pot of water on the stove. It doesn't boil when you're watching it.
0: Now, I remember that 2009 season. We had a
6: well, white Christmas. Everybody 20,
3: 2009. Everybody,
6: in, everybody
0: in North Carolina had a white Christmas in 2009.
3: We had it in Charlotte. I remember that well.
4: Probably yeah. north I don't think
0: you guys didn't get in on the action, did you, Jared? Maybe northern parts of South Carolina?
4: No, 2009? Yeah. are you yeah, still in uh, DC? No, I, I was, I was in Charleston. We had well now, now 2009, 2010, we had that, uh, uh, Valentine's day snow, yes. um, down here. And that's something that happens occasionally, but yeah, we don't, we don't get in any of that. It's very rare. It, it we, we got to have a coastal storm in order to get a really good snow. That's really the only way it happens here. Coastal storm and wedge.
0: All right, I'm getting the rap from our producer, so we'll go ahead.
6: Your same producer is also looking for a video of snow now.
0: (laughs) Are you going to show us some snow? Well, why you do that? I can fill if you need. Why you do that? Next week we have on with us, speaking of snow, Mm -hmm. we have on Greg Carbon. He is the director of the Weather Prediction Center, and they issue snowfall forecasts. So we'll ask Greg about snowfall forecasts and all the other things they
6: do at the Weather Prediction Center.
0: Uh, I don't be next have week
6: snow week. video, but I can put this up out of irony. This is the forecast for greenville spartanburg of snow in the next 24 hours. Uh, just no, just so we're clear. <laughs> no <laughs> snow in the next 24
0: hours. So no, no, Whew, that, that was so. close. But anyways, we hope you've enjoyed uh, the Carolina Weather Group. Uh, we appreciate uh, you watching. Don't forget, we are always uh, looking for your suggestions for guest and show topics. And we are also looking for your Hurricane Hugo stories you experienced Hugo, if your family did, if you have any pictures, videos, you can send them to us via Facebook or Twitter. And uh, we can also give you an email address, CarolinaWXGroup at gmail.com. You can submit those there. We'll be uh, sorting through those and adding a couple throughout our Hurricane Hugo 30th year anniversary show. So we'd love to have those as well. Uh, But for everyone here at the Carolina Weather Group, we hope you have a great weekend. Stay cool out there. It is going to heat up this weekend. And we'll see you back here next Wednesday night for another sh- episode of the Carolina Weather Group. Let's let's go home, boys. Let's go. <laughs> Bye.
3: Hey, this is Tim Pounds, digital content editor for the Carolina Weather Group. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Be sure to check out our weekly live stream every Wednesday at 815 Eastern on all the major streaming applications such as Facebook, YouTube, Periscope, and Twitch, just to name a few. Additionally, be sure to check out our weekly podcasts that are published on all your favorite applications like Anchor.fm, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Apple Podcasts. Stay weather aware, drive hands-free, and have
1: a wonderful day.